find ourselves in a situation and a mindset that we should not be in. So let's give God glory this morning for the blessings that He has given us. And I invite you to open your Bible with me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Continuing this theme of, of thankfulness. Our sermon title today is Grateful for God's Grace. When we think about the ways that God has blessed us, it ought to inspire in our hearts and our minds an attitude of gratitude. It is Thanksgiving week. It is a time steeped in tradition for many families and friends. It's an opportunity for for folks to gather together, to enjoy each other's company, enjoy each other's presence. Uh, A time for gathering. For many, it's a time of watching football. Uh, A time for gathering around the table and and eating and sharing food together. A lot of uh, wonderful traditions. Uh, one tradition that many have as they gather around the table for Thanksgiving, as we set the beginning to, to count our blessings, one tradition that many families have is to go around the table and, and express something that they're thankful for. And as we do that, we undoubtedly come to, to realize that we are blessed in so many ways. We have so many things to be thankful for that God has provided for us. And, and many of these things that we are grateful for uh, deal with uh, physical blessings God's provided for us. Our, our health, uh, God's provided for us a, 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 a meal to enjoy. Uh, God's provided for us family and friends, companionship. And, and all these things are, are wonderful. All these things, it's, it's well and good to be thankful for such things. But even more so, no matter the situation or the circumstances that we are in in life, we must always and should always be thankful for God's spiritual blessings. God has looked upon you as a sinner who has rebelled against Him and against His holy law. God has looked upon you and God has had compassion on you and on your soul. And God has sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to rescue you in your wretched condition. God has provided a way for you to have a relationship with Him. And God has poured out His grace on you, His undeserved love and favor. God has done that for you. And this week, and indeed every week of your life, you ought to think about these things and be grateful for all the blessings that God has provided for you in Christ Jesus. And all of these blessings that God has provided is solely by His grace. Everything that God has done for you from your physical provision all the way up to your spiritual provision, everything God provides for you is by His grace and for His glory. So be grateful for all the blessings God provides for you in Christ Jesus. Let me invite you to stand this morning reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. And these words were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer in supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? 
Father, today we express our gratitude, our thankfulness for so many things. Primarily, God, for Your grace towards us in Christ Jesus. God, we are thankful also that You are a God who speaks. That You reveal Yourself through Your written Word. You, you have given us truth. You've given us something of substance to hold on to, to find hope, to find meaning and purpose in each and every one of our lives. We thank You, God, that You have not abandoned us. Instead, You have rescued us. And You hold us firmly, securely in Your hands. Father, we thank You for the promises of Your Word. We ask today, Lord, as we have gathered, as Your Word is, is presented and preached, I pray, God, it is preached in all of its truthfulness and all power and authority. And Father, I pray our minds are open to read it, to hear it, to understand it better. Holy Spirit, apply these truths to our hearts so that we might live out the Word as You intended. Lord, we pray today as the Spirit sweeps through our midst that if there be anyone here that's never trusted in Jesus Christ, has never been born again by Your grace, I pray, God, You would, you would bring that to pass today, the supernatural work only You can do. Father, if there be a Christian here today that is struggling, someone who is not living the way they ought to, or someone who is not applying these truths, that I pray, God, You would bring conviction, You'd bring comfort, You would bring healing. Father, do the work that, again, only You can do. Father, bring us into conformity with Your will so You would receive the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. You know, every church has its struggles. The church in Philippi was no exception. As Paul wrote this letter to them, he was writing to encourage them in the midst of all the struggles they were going through. He was writing to encourage them, but also to exhort them to stand firm in their Christian faith. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, to stand firm in the Lord. Now, there were many threats to the gospel that this church was going through. First of all, in chapter 1, we learned Paul was in prison. He was literally put in jail for preaching the gospel or telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul was imprisoned. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, we read that there were false teachers that were seeking to, to, to poison the good news of the gospel in the church. We learn in chapter 3, verse 18, that there were those Paul called the enemies of the cross of Christ. There was persecution from the outside, false teaching from the inside, but also there was church conflict. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, I urge these two women, Judea and Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. And then he's encouraging the church in chapter 3 to, to help them in this cause. There is nothing that will derail the ministry of the church and nothing that will hinder the spread of the gospel more so than church conflict. As the members begin to look inside at the problems they are dealing with on the inside, they're not looking to the outside. And Paul says in, in this letter, you must address this. You can't just sweep this under the rug and allow such behavior and such attitudes to continue. It will only harm the church and the advancement of the gospel. 
So this church was dealing with a lot of issues, but Paul provides a solution to each problem, and that solution is the same. As Paul talked about being in prison in chapter 1, he says in chapter 1, verse 21, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, you know, he wants to be faithful in serving Jesus now, but ultimately to die is gain. To, uh, to, he the desire to depart and to be with Christ because that's far better. So a heavenly, heavenward focus. Chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, even though there's false teachers in the church, I press on for the prize. Press on for the goal. A heavenward focus. And then in chapter 3, Paul says there's enemies of the cross of Christ in verse 18. Paul says in verse 20, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. For which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, time and time again, says the solution to all of the issues that we face here in this life, here in the present reality, the solution is to have that heavenward focus to press on, to continue on, to stand firm in the Christian faith and the doctrine that's been passed on to us, to stand firm and to not retreat and to press on ultimately towards that goal, that heavenward goal. And the reality in all of this, Paul says, we ought to have gratitude for God's grace, that yes, we go through struggles, we go through circumstances sometimes beyond our control. And, and there's persecution from without and there's division from within. And Paul says in the midst of this all, we have the promise of God in Christ Jesus. The promise of forgiveness of sin, the promise of heaven. For that we should be thankful. And then beginning in verse 4 of chapter 4, Paul shows several things that we as Christians should be thankful for. And all these things are by God's grace. We ought to have gratitude. First of all, in verse 4, be thankful for praise. For praise. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Joy and rejoicing are a central theme all throughout this letter. Chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says he has joy in his heart for all of them in the church. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, make my joy complete by being of one mind. He desired unity and focus and fellowship in the church. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This theme of, of joy and thanksgiving. Psalm 100 encapsulates all this where the psalmist says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. So Paul takes that same mindset and applies it to the New Testament church that God has blessed us in so many ways. And so we express our gratitude to Him through praise, through joy, finding our joy in Him. First of all, we see the command for joy in verse 4. Paul says, rejoice. 
It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a second person plural. You've heard me tell you this time and time again. A second person plural means y'all. You all. Collectively, every one of you, Paul says, rejoice. Not just the select few of you who are more spiritual than others. Paul says, all of you in Christ rejoice. Have joy. Experience joy in Christ. And then he repeats it. Again, I say rejoice. The emphasis there. And when you have a command from God in Scripture, what are you supposed to do with that command? You're supposed to do it, right? Obey it. And if you don't obey a command of God, what do you call that? Sin. So if you put these two things together, God says rejoice. God says have joy. And if you do not have joy, you're outside the will of God. The absence of joy is sin. We ought to rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord. And that's the condition for joy. The joy that we find is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord because if you are outside the Lord, you will have no joy. If you're outside of Christ with no relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you'll have no joy because Jesus is the only source of true joy. If you are in Christ, you have been born again by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God resides within you. And the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we call that the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love. We need to have love towards our our fellow brother, our fellow neighbor. We need to have love towards God. And then the second one listed is joy. If there's no joy in your life, there's no fullness of the Holy Spirit. So the problem is you need to be, first of all, a relationship with Christ. And secondly, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If there's no joy in your life, you need the Holy Spirit and His fullness to wash over you and bring you joy. It's a condition for joy in the Lord. Then Paul also talks about the constancy of joy. It should be constant. He says rejoice in the Lord when? Sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. Rejoice in the Lord 99.9% of the time. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And then as if his readers would say, now Paul, do you really mean always? Paul says again, I will say, No matter the situation, rejoice. You see, the mistake we commonly make is to confuse joy and happiness. Paul doesn't say be happy all the time. Because quite frankly, we can't. In this fallen world, in this sin-filled place called earth, we cannot always be happy. Why? Because bad things happen. Because we get sick. Because we have bills to pay. Because we have relationship struggles. There's any number of things will come into your life and will, and will rob you of happiness. Because happiness is an emotion and emotions are based on situations. You can be happy one minute and then suddenly something happens. Happiness is gone. Joy, on the other hand, is not the same as happiness because joy is something that we can and should have and will always have if we are in Christ. 
If you are full of the Holy Spirit, you will always have joy because joy is not contingent upon your situation or your circumstance. Joy is supernatural. It's not natural to have joy when things are going bad. It's unnatural. It's only the Holy Spirit of God that brings that joy to bear in your life no matter your situation. This was a church that was Paul was imprisoned. Their, their founder and their leader was in jail. There were false teachers coming and, and, and mixing up the good news of the gospel. There were enemies of the cross of Christ. There was, there was fighting amongst two women in the church. There were so many things that would rob that church of happiness. Paul said rejoice. Make it your priority to find joy in Christ. Enjoy Him. Enjoy Him. And it's a present tense verb too, which means keep doing it. Rejoice. It's commanded. Rejoice. It's a, it's a second person plural. It's everybody. Rejoice. It's present tense. That means it's something you keep doing. It's not saying, well, I had joy last week. I'm good. No, keep on rejoicing. Keep on this praise initiative in your life. Don't focus on the negative. Focus on the blessings. Have joy in Christ that your situation, your situation's not permanent. I don't know what it is you may be going through. For some of you all, I know you're going through stuff. It doesn't matter what you're going through now in this life. It's not permanent. And that alone should be reason for joy for you. Your struggles, your temptations, your trials, they're not permanent. Heaven is permanent. Glory is permanent. Joy is permanent. Rejoice always. The command for praise. Be thankful for praise. God's people have a history of thanksgiving, coming together to give thanks for God, praising God, and enjoying festivities and feasting together. Of course, we think about the pilgrims. We even go back to the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. They had come back to Jerusalem. They had come back to, to, to rebuild the, the temple, rebuild the walls. And they have a, a preaching service there in a time of praise and worship. Then Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 talks about the importance of feasting and celebrating and the joy that we have in that. They said to them, Go and eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. You see, even they were making to-go boxes back in the Old Testament. Go and eat and drink and send portions to him who has none. For this day is holy to our Lord. It's a, it's a day of worship. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You have no strength today. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Be joyful. Be grateful. Thank Him with praise. Verse 5, Paul says, Also, we should be thankful for His presence. His presence. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you glad for that? No matter what happens, God is there with you every step of the way. It's seen, first of all, in our Christ-like forbearance. In, in chapter 5, or, or verse 5, Paul says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
gentleness. Again, that's a fruit of the Spirit. So Paul is saying if, if you have a relationship with Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, it will be manifest in your attitudes, in your actions, in your thoughts. Love for others, joy, but all the way down to gentleness, faithfulness, compassion, kindness. All of these things come out. And, and Paul says that, that be gentle. Let your gentle spirit... The word gentle can mean patience or, or to be kind or, or to tolerate one another in our shortcomings. And again, he's dealing with two ladies that were not getting along. These were two Christians having perhaps just personality clashes. And Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all. Be willing to forgive. Be willing to, to bear with one another. Be, be willing to, out of love, be patient and, and sit down and be willing to talk through issues. That's something, unfortunately, so many Christians aren't willing to do. They'd rather hold a vindictive grudge than sit down and work through their issues together in a Christ-like way. Christ-like forbearance. Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. To all men. That means inside the church and outside the church. Because your gentle spirit is, is evidence of gospel transformation. The way you interact with others is the evidence that you have been changed on the inside and that you are full of the Holy Spirit and that you're willing to, to tolerate, you're willing to be gentle to all men. That's evidence of gospel transformation. A lack of gentleness on your part is a red flag. If you just find it difficult to get along with people, if you find it difficult to, 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 to work through your issues together, a lack of gentleness is an issue. Paul says, let it be known to all men. Let, let, let everyone see that Christ lives in you. The nearness of Christ can be seen in the way we treat one another, in the way we interact with each other. Christ himself comes, demonstrates his power, then we also see Christ's faithfulness towards us in verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. That's how we can have joy. That's how we can overcome these issues that we're facing. That's how we can, can find ourselves willing to, to forbear with one another because the Lord is near. It's a good thing. You know, God's always there. It's a comforting thing. It's also a convicting thing. Because that thing that you're doing and that thing you're thinking, the Lord's right there with you. So that's a challenging thing to think through it in those terms. But Paul here is saying it's a source of joy for us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let the gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. These things are connected. So how is the Lord near? It can be referred to either in, in, in space aspect or time. In space, that He's always close. He's always in close proximity to you. Therefore, you can have joy. The, yeah, I'm going through some stuff right now, but God, you're there with me. Thank you for going through this with me. I can be gentle because you're there with me and you're walking beside me through this valley. Or it can refer to the time aspect. His, he, his return is soon. The Lord is near. He's almost, he's almost back. He is near in His coming. And if he was near in his coming 2,000 years ago, how much more near is he now? 
The Lord is near. The end is near. Glory is near. Heaven is near. It's almost here. We can hang on in the struggle just a little bit longer because the Lord is near. That time is short. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. Forbear with one another because the Lord's coming is near. And His faithfulness to us should inspire our faithfulness to Him. He said He's coming again. And He is faithful to His promises. How much more should we be faithful to Him? Rejoice in Him. Because He's coming soon. Recently we uh, took one of the downstairs rooms in the parsonage and turned it into a playroom. Put kids' toys in there and, and made a place for them to go and, and play. The thing is, uh, the kids won't go down there by themselves. You know, they, they don't want to go downstairs in the basement. And, you know, there's something comforting having someone else with them, whether it's one of their siblings or, or mommy or daddy. You know, if somebody's with them, they'll go downstairs and play and they'll enjoy themselves and have a great time. They don't want to go alone. Something about having a comforting presence in dark places that enables us to continue on. Think about your situation in life right now. If you're going through a dark time, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. You can find joy. You'd be like a child playing in the playroom because you know, I'm not alone. The Lord is near. Be grateful for that. Be thankful for His presence. Thirdly, be thankful for prayer. Thankful for prayer. Prayer is a, a constant line of communication with God that He has established only by His grace. You have a connection with God, a, a communication connection with God that He has provided for you. And that's an important thing too because we have the command here in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. So resist anxiety. Anxious for nothing. The word anxious means distracted. Anxious for nothing. And he's writing to a church that was dealing with stuff. He's writing to Christians. And, and honestly, we all deal with stuff. In any given situation, any given point in time in life, we're going through stuff. And he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't let the stuff distract you from God. Because if the stuff distracts you from God, it will steal your joy. Be anxious for nothing. Resist it. Don't let life take your focus off the Lord. But look at life through the lens of your relationship with the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. That's easier said than done. How do you do that? Paul provides the answer in verse 6. Request answers. Request answers. Be anxious for nothing but... Here's the, uh, the, the opposite side of the coin... Be anxious for nothing but, here's what you do, in everything, in everything, the good things, the bad things, the in-between things, in everything, here's what we are called to do. No matter the situation, we are to let your requests be made known to God. That's a command. Let your requests be made known to God. See, the thing is, God already knows, Right? So letting your request be made known to God is not for God's benefit because He's the sovereign God of the universe. He already knows what you need before you even ask Him. 
but you're still commanded to make your request known to God. Why? It's not for God's benefit. Whose benefit is it for? It's for yours, mine. So when we were going through things in life, instead of getting anxious over these things and worrying about these things and, and wringing our hands over these things and, and saying, woe is me, what are we supposed to do with it? Let our requests be known to God. We're to take those requests and pray. He says, in everything, by prayer. That means we ought to have continual prayerfulness in our lives. Your life should be marked by continual prayerfulness. Why? Because you're confronted with the potential of continual anxiety. To battle continual anxiety means you have continual prayerfulness. It means you have those moments where you get along with God and you spend time focused on God in that moment, but also throughout your day you pray without ceasing. You understand that at any moment in time, at any second of the day, you can pray. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be with your head bowed and your eyes closed. You can pray anytime. Constant prayerfulness, continual prayerfulness is the antidote to anxiety. When you feel yourself getting anxious, automatically, default, go straight to God in prayer. God, I need your presence. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He will hear your faintest cry and he will answer by and by. That little talk with Jesus does so much. Don't ever underestimate that. Continual prayerfulness also with continual humbleness. Humbleness with, by prayer and supplication. Supplication means to supply. You see the word in there. It means you're going to somebody that can help you. You're humble. Why do you go to God in prayer? Because you need God to do something you can't do. If you can fix it on your own, and, and if we're honest, we, we try that route, don't we? You're just like, okay, I've got a problem here. What can I do to fix it? How can I make myself better? How can I work through this issue? How can I resolve this on my own? That's not humility. That's pride. Thinking I somehow I've got the capability to solve this problem. And there are things in life we just can't solve. And we're faced with that anxiety and we're overwhelmed by our inability. That humbleness to ask God is crucial. Our humbleness, our, our dependence on Him, supplication. Bring your needs before the Lord. Why? Because the Lord's the only one that can fix them. If you bring your needs before God, either God will fix the issue or God will fix your attitude about it. Prayer changes things. Sometimes prayer changes the situation. Other times prayer changes you. Changes your heart and your outlook. And gives you the strength to carry on. Continual prayerfulness, continual humbleness, also continual thankfulness. Because Paul says whenever you're anxious, by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. You wonder why I chose this passage for this week? It's Thanksgiving week, of course. Continual thankfulness, thanksgiving, gratitude. Supplication with thanksgiving. Humbly asking God for answers. All the while being thankful. Thankful that you can pray. Thankful that God listens. Thankful that God loves you. Thankful that God is near Thank you that thankful that, that heaven awaits. Thankful that 
God will take this anxiety and turn it upside down. Supplication with thanksgiving. <clears throat> in Greek, the word thankful, in the root of it is the word grace. So as you are thankful, you are thankful for grace. You're thankful that God loves you. You're thankful that even though the situation looks bad, you've got a God who's even bigger. Thankful even though you're anxious, God provides answers. Not always the answers you want, not always the answers you're looking for, not always the answers that come as quickly as you want, but as you persevere in prayer, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. If there is anything in this world you ought to be anxious for, it's for your soul's salvation. Think about your relationship with God or maybe the lack thereof. If that is causing you to be anxious, it should. But Paul says the anxiety to that anxiousness is what prayer, humility, supplication. God, I need to be saved. God, my soul is anxious about, about eternity. God, am I, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? God, I, I, can't, I can't fix this problem on my own. I, I'm only digging myself a bigger hole. God, I need your help. I need Christ Jesus. God, I pray. That, Lord, I am a sinner. I need salvation. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you rose again. You see, the antidote to the anxiety of your soul is prayer that line of communication that God has for you. It's always there. You should always be joyful, grateful for that. Remember back in the summer of 2000, I was working out at Boone's Creek Camp on staff that year. And, and 17 years ago, cell service wasn't what it is now. And, and out there at the camp then, uh, you wouldn't be able to have cell service. During the, the only time you could have it was at night, and you'd go out on the basketball court, and if you would stand a certain way, maybe like this, on one foot, you know, with your, your phone way up in the air, sometimes you could pick up a bar of, uh, of service. And I will forget, whenever Friday afternoon would come, it was time to go home, driving urban, ro uh, urban road, and coming almost in the town, that, that hill right where the new bypass is at. You come to that spot, you would go from zero bars to five bars, like, like automatically, instant. This is right there, I guess, the, 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 the tower hit. And every time I got full cell service, what did I do? I was newly engaged at the time. I called my fiancé. And I couldn't wait to get to that point where I could be able to, to, to conversate with her and to hear her voice. And how soothing and how comforting that was. The thing is, you had to wait to be able to have that conversation. But with God, you don't have to wait. With God, that, that, that line of communication is always there. You don't have to worry about getting service or, or, or bars on your cell phone. That line of communication is always open. And how much I used to look forward to that conversation with my fiancé and, and how that was such a, a, a driving thing and a motivating thing. Do we have that same attitude with prayer? I can't wait to talk with God. I can't wait to get along with the Lord and just pour my, pour my heart out to Him. 
God, I just can't wait to, to, to pray with you and pray to you and have that fellowship with you in the Spirit. Do you have that same attitude about prayer? Or is it something you're like, man, I know I have to do it. I guess I better do it. Or is it something you look forward to and expect? Something that you enjoy? Be thankful for prayer. Finally, be thankful for His promises. His promises. You know, there are privileges of being in a covenant relationship with God. There are perks that you enjoy as a Christian that a non-Christian cannot have. So be thankful for His promises. First of all, God promises His amazing provision. As you're anxious for nothing but your prayer and everything, here's what happens. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. The peace of God. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict. You have no conflict with God if you are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what he means by this is the, the peace of God. That means peace in your situation. Joy in your situation. Peace also on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's almost as if Paul has these things in mind that in Christ, through the fullness of the Holy Spirit, these attitudes are there. These abilities are there. The peace of God Paul says that, that passes all understanding, the, that wholeness, that, that, that feeling that, that nothing is lacking and nothing is missing. It's the Old Testament concept of peace, shalom. Through prayer, peace is achieved. Not just any peace, the peace that passes all understanding. That means from the outside observer, it makes no sense. How in the world can you have peace right now? How in the world can you have joy in your heart when you're going through such a terrible situation? It makes no sense. How in the world? It's beyond all comprehension. It passes all understanding. It makes no earthly sense how you can have joy and peace right now. But it's available through prayer, through a relationship with God, through a heavenward focus. The peace of God that passes all understanding. How in the world? No other explanation but God. What a wonderful testimony that is. For you to be able to tell somebody, how can you be so calm? How can you have such peace? How can you have joy? And then you get to tell them, it's Jesus Christ. The only explanation is Jesus Christ. His amazing provision is there for you. But also His abundant protection. Abundant protection. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard. The word guard there is like a military term to defend or fortify or, or, or to keep secure. Now remember where Paul was at when he was writing this? He's in prison. He was in jail. He was being guarded by Roman soldiers. He was maybe even chained to his hands. And as he was writing this letter, the, the, the links of the chain perhaps were smacking up against the table as he was writing. Paul said, the peace of God will guard. The peace of God will defend. The peace of God will build a fortress 
around two things. His abundant protection is for your heart and for your head. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard, first of all, your hearts. Your hearts. Your hearts, the seat, the center of your emotions, the center of your will. As you, as you think and as you feel a certain way, the peace of God will guard your heart. Will guard you against what? Hopelessness. The sense of having no hope. The sense of despair. The sense of, of depression. All of these things, the peace of God will guard your heart against those things. If you will be in humble prayer to God, the peace of God will guard your hearts. The way you feel about your situation. But also the peace of God will guard not only your hearts, it will guard your minds. And the way you think, the way you process about the situations you're going through, your thoughts, how you, how you meditate, what you dwell on. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs says. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds and what you think about, what you dwell on. Paul addresses that in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely of good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. Think about these things. People say, think happy thoughts. No, think holy thoughts. Think about the promises of God. Think about the protection of God. Think about the Holy Spirit standing guard over your mind and your heart, the way you think and the way you feel. When you're overwhelmed, when you are despairing and you are, feel hopeless through prayer, the peace of God becomes your fortress. But then Paul says, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. How? Where? In Christ Jesus. It goes back to that relationship. If you are in Christ, that provision and that protection is available to you. Outside of Christ, you're on your own. But in Christ, the peace of God that passes all understanding. It will guard your hearts. It's a promise. It will guard your minds. But only if you're in Christ. In Christ. Think about that. Be grateful for all the blessings God provides you in Christ Jesus. And these things are always and only by His grace. You see, God doesn't have to provide anything for you. God doesn't, doesn't have to protect you. But in Christ Jesus, God binds himself to you by oath and says, I will provide for you. I will protect you. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry. Worship. Worship him. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. Say, follow me, I'll fix everything, and you'll have no problems. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But then he says, but take heart. Have joy, have peace. Take heart. Why? Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. The world that's beating you down right now, Jesus overcame it. Why are you anxious about it? 
Why are you worried about it? Why are you so upset about it? Jesus already beat it. He's already defeated it. All you've got to do is live out that reality. All you've got to do is put your focus on Him through humble prayer and and supplication with thanksgiving. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds because Jesus overcame. He's already overcome. Take heart, I've overcome the world. As we enter into this time of thanksgiving, we reflect back to the 1600s and the pilgrims when they arrived here the Mayflower, and we think about you know, all that they went through and all that they endured. The struggles and the, and the difficulties of coming to the New World. I read a quote that said, the pilgrims built seven times as many graves as they did huts. And if anybody had the opportunity to despair and feel hopeless, it was the pilgrims. But you see, they kept their faith in God. They trusted in the Lord. They trusted in His Word. And ultimately, God provided for them. Some of them, God took home. The others that were left, God provided for their needs in some amazing and supernatural ways. We all read about this in history. The thing not to forget is they trusted in the Lord. They found the peace of God that passed all understanding. It made no sense how they could have peace and joy how they could be thankful for anything. But they were. They were. And their actions, they inspire us today through prayer, trusting in the Lord, trusting in His Word, and because ultimately His Word does wonders for worries. No matter what you're going through life right now, come to this Scripture. It's one of my favorite passages to read as somebody is in the hospital or somebody is dealing with difficulty in life right now because we need peace that passes all understanding and the way to achieve that is through prayer. And we can rejoice no matter what it is we are going through. Be thankful for praise, thankful for His presence, thankful for prayer, thankful for His promises. Be grateful for the grace of God. He provides to you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as it is 